We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Cooley will join me on the show in the next segment. Uh, We will talk about Washington's offensive coordinator search. By the way, I'm not going to mention to him Eric Bieniemy. There are some stories out there, a few of them, that Eric Bieniemy's name has been linked to Washington, although no reports from super credible sources at this point that Washington has requested uh, to interview Eric Bieniemy uh, for their offensive coordinator spot. But I recorded Cooley earlier before I saw this, but I am going to ask him about what he thinks about Greg Roman, uh, the Baltimore offensive coordinator who stepped down yesterday, and I think Cooley's answer um, will be interesting to all of you. We'll also preview all four of the divisional round games. And then in the final segment today, I'm going to go back 40 years ago this weekend to what I believe is the most memorable game in franchise history, the January 22nd, 1983 NFC Championship win over the Cowboys at RFK Stadium uh, that propelled the team to Super Bowl 17 and their first Super Bowl win, which would come a week later. And we'll talk about that game next week. But a special guest will join me to discuss that game 40 years ago this upcoming Sunday, and that special guest will be Dexter Manley. I am looking forward uh, to that. Uh, I did, before we get into some football conversation, including my smell test here in the opening segment, I wanted to mention that I thought Maryland's win last night, uh, and I talked about it yesterday. Uh, Actually, I didn't talk about it yesterday on the podcast because we didn't do a podcast yesterday, Um, uh, but I did talk about it on the radio show yesterday. Maryland somehow was favored over Michigan last night um, just two weeks after being annihilated by the Wolverines in Ann Arbor by 35 points. Uh, Yes, I had Maryland last night. Uh, for the maximum allowed, um, and they uh, beat uh, Michigan uh, at Xfinity Center, sixty-four to fifty-eight. A really good win for them. Uh, they played well. They really came out with an urgency that you had to have. I mean, after getting your ass kicked the way they did on New Year's Day at Michigan, in that game they trailed seventeen nothing, thirty-three to seven, forty. 
uh, 44 to 13 at halftime uh, before losing 81 to 46. And then they were favored last night. Um, home courts matter in college basketball, and rematches matter too, especially when the team that lost big is capable of a lot more. And Maryland came out last night, uh, and I give Kevin Willard a lot of credit. They were ready to play. Um, they gave up some big-time threes uh, in the first half out of that 2-3 zone, uh, but they really buttoned it up second half defensively. And Jameer Young was outstanding again. Jameer Young's last three games now for Maryland, he had 30 against Ohio State in the win on January 8th. By the way, had 11 rebounds in that game as well. Had 20 in the loss at Iowa on Sunday and had 26 last night. By the way, you know that's that's 76 points in three games and only two made three-point shots. I mean, it's all coming at the free throw line and on twos. He was 0 for 5 last night. Uh, behind the arc. He can shoot the three, um, but he's two for his last 14, even though um, he is uh, you know, killing it from a scoring standpoint the last three. He's averaging 16 a game uh, for the Terps, leading them in scoring. Uh, that's a bit of a surprise. I mean, I certainly thought that Dante Scott or maybe Hakeem Hart would lead them in scoring. Uh, but without Jameer Young, uh, this team, which is now 12-6, and 3-4 and four in a crazy Big Ten, uh, without Jameer Young, this team would have no chance. Um, big win for the Terps last night. They got, a, uh, by the way, a surprising performance um, with Emerlin, their, their backup center for most of the year, being out with an injured angle, uh, ankle. Calum Swanton Roger. Uh, 6'11 freshman, 220 uh, pounds out of Calgary, Alberta, number 35 last night, wearing that protective broken nose gear. He came in and gave them a solid, solid seven minutes, had a big-time slam dunk over Hunter Dickinson, who was really good in the game, by the way, in his first trip uh, in front of a crowd. Not a great crowd last night with the students on break, um, but since you know the dust-up with Dickinson and Turgeon from a couple of years ago during the pandemic, and then you know that year in the Big Ten tournament, last year they only played at Michigan, so this was Dickinson's first trip back to College Park. Uh, Michigan may have been a little bit disappointed uh, that Maryland fans didn't you know get fired up for Michigan. Well, they stink. They're not very good this year. They were 10 and 6 or 10 and 7 coming in, something like that. Um, and uh, even though they had beaten Maryland and played well recently, um, it's not uh, a great Michigan team this year. But it was a big win for Maryland. And Swanton Roger had this dunk over Dickinson in the game that was outstanding. Um, but love the way they played last night. Love the way they defended in the second half. Um, love the way they rebounded, especially on the offensive glass. Um, they had a stretch of turnovers there in the second half that hurt them, but they but but they only had six for the game, which is outstanding for them. Uh, and they get a big win and a big cover uh, also uh, before they head to third-ranked Purdue on Sunday, which will not be easy at all. All right, a um, little bit of update on where Washington is right now in the OC search. We know that Shermer... Uh, Zampezi and Charles London have all uh, been interviewed. Um, Eric Studsville, the uh, Miami assistant head coach and running backs coach, um, is scheduled to be interviewed. And now Thomas Brown, the Rams assistant head coach and the tight ends coach, 
um, is going to interview as well, according to reports. I've seen many of the different local uh, beat reporters report that Studsville and Thomas Brown will be the next uh, OC uh, candidates um, to interview. Both of those uh, expected to take place next week. Greg Roman leaving Baltimore is an interesting, very intriguing. I mentioned him, you know, after the Rivera, uh, uh, Rivera and uh, Martin Mayhew press conference when they emphasized heavy run over pass. I'm like, look, if you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to do this, go all in. Greg Roman, there was conversation at the time that he may not survive. Go get Greg Roman, draft Anthony Richardson out of Florida, and let's go full dual-threat quarterback running attack. May not thrill Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and some others, uh, but let's go for it, especially if if you're talking you know, budget constraints as uh, this you know ownership situation continues uh, to evolve. So... Um, I, I like Anthony Richardson. I know a lot of uh, people don't love him. I think he's going to be gone before 16 anyway. Um, at least that's the discussion here um, over the last uh, you know week or so as everybody really starts to focus in on uh, the um, uh, the quarterbacks in the draft, and we'll have plenty of time to do, to do that. Um, I like Richardson. He's 6'4", he's 230, he can run 4'3", 4'4", and he's a great running quarterback with a big-time arm. I don't love his mechanics. I think it leads to inaccuracy. There's some throws that you watch when he's at Florida that are really ugly. But if you want to go all in, you know, you're going 60-40 run to pass, and that's going to be your philosophy and your personality, and you, you know, want the quarterback to be a part of that, and you're not so sure that Sam Howell is that guy, and you're looking for the next Lamar Jackson, you know, Anthony Richardson would fit that bill. I mean, he is a bigger, taller version of Lamar Jackson. Uh, and he's got a strong arm as well, like Lamar Jackson. Again, not sure uh, Terry and Jahan would love it, um, but anyway. Um, before I get to my smell test to finish up this first segment of the show, I did want to mention something that uh, a friend of mine um, mentioned to me, and he is, he's been involved in some of these big, big transactions, not necessarily in sports. By the way, Neil and Rockville also, I think, uh, mentioned this to me as well. The report the other day from front office sports about Snyder uh, selling a controlling stake, that the bidders have been told that he is selling a majority stake, a controlling stake, but leaving open the possibility that the Snyders may still remain as minority shareholders. Um, This friend of mine said, look, there are tax benefits potentially for the Snyders to put the remaining uh, minority share that they don't sell into a trust in their kids' names. Um, there is also the uh, idea that if they still owned, let's just say 30% of a $7 billion valuation. So they still own $2.1 billion worth of stock in the franchise, that that $2.1 billion is going to be worth a lot more five years from now, 10 years from now, as NFL you know values continue to go up. So he said there there could be tax benefits to still remaining um, a minority shareholder, especially if they deal with it in sort of a trust uh, in their kids' names. There's obviously the opportunity to remain 
an equity stakeholder in an NFL team where the values continue to go up. And then he pointed out this, and I thought this was very interesting. For the purchaser of the team, if you if you only purchase, let's just say, 70% of the team at $7, billions, uh, $7 billion in valuation, so you pay $4.9 billion, well, that means that there's $2.1 billion that you're not putting down on the sale of the team that could then be used for a new stadium, that the new owner may actually prefer purchasing you know, a controlling stake, a majority stake, but not 100% of the team at, say, a $7 billion valuation. And it may come in less than that. I'm just, I'm just trying to make the math easy. So, you know, to put $4.9 billion into the team, to control it, and then to have $2.1 billion to go towards the new stadium, wherever that gets built, and with whatever public financing there is or isn't for that project, may be beneficial for the buyer. I thought that was an interesting way um, to kind of consider uh, that. Um, I did, you know, kind of discuss perhaps the tax benefits. Look, I don't really want the Snyders involved at all. Um, I would hope that the new owner would recognize that there is kind of a guilt by association thing here and that the new owner would have to distance himself completely from the Snyders, even if they remained minority shareholders, that part of uh, the, 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 the benefit, part of the allure of buying this team is that you're not going to be the Snyders and people are going to flock back to a team that's not owned by Dan Snyder. Hopefully there would be some recognition so that if they were minority shareholders, they would have to be very silent minority shareholders. Anyway, all right, uh, let's get to my smell test here for the NFL divisional playoff games. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. test. The smell test is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit all the way up to 1000 bucks. Take the free money, guys. If you're betting the playoffs with somebody else or if you're betting them for the first time, use MyBookie. Take the free money. Uh, it's a safe place to bet, fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair prop bet numbers, uh, and you get paid. And by the way, the pricing is fair. You're not going to see a game in which you're betting a side with a number with anything other than a minus 110 behind it. All right. You lose, you lose minus 110. You're not paying minus 115 or minus 120 like some of these newer places are charging. Um, All right, before I get to my smell test picks, last week, five underdogs, one favorite in the six super wildcard games. The only favorite to cover was San Francisco. Of course, I was on Seattle. Um, And the overs were five to one as well. And the only game that stayed under was the Monday night game with the four missed PATs 
which would have uh, just making one of them would have put the game over and you would have had six overs and zero unders. Um, Typically, when you see that many overs covering, it's a big weekend for the public. But as I've been telling you all year long, there were so many unders this year. The under um, was an outright major winner for most books this year. And the, the scoring was down this year. So the public kind of thought they had wised up a little bit, and they went under on some of the games last weekend, including the game that I went over on, which was Baltimore-Cincinnati. Um, and that game did go over. Two and two last weekend. I had Seattle, I had Minnesota, but then I had Baltimore, and I had the Baltimore-Cincinnati over. Uh, I've got three uh, smell test picks. Let me just mention um, that I don't have a smell test pick on the first game tomorrow, Jacksonville, Kansas City. But I do give Jacksonville a chance to cover in this game. I really do. That number's up to nine now at my bookie. Um, I'd give a lean towards Jacksonville plus the nine. I think I'm going to play the Jags plus the nine in that one. But that's not an official smell test pick. The first one comes tomorrow night. Giants at Eagles. The public is all over the Giants. Uh, It's a recent memory thing. They saw a very impressive Daniel Jones, a very impressive Giant offense on Sunday in Minneapolis. They were playing the worst defense in the NFL. They're not playing that tomorrow night. Um, The line is seven and a half. They are begging you to take the Giants. Now, typically what I've done during the regular season is I have given myself the benefit this year of buying the key half points on numbers like three, um, seven, uh, 10, 14, et cetera. Uh, But I don't see any sevens out there. I only see seven and a halves. So I'm going to buy the half point, but for the purposes of the smell test pick, Eagles minus seven and a half is the first selection. I really think Philadelphia is going to have a big game. I think A.J. Brown will have a big game. I think the Giants will find this defense tougher uh, to just march up and down the field like they did last week to the tune of 446 yards and 31 points. I don't see that. They made eight of their first nine third-down conversions. They're not going to do that against Philadelphia this week. I think the Eagles are rested. A big key to this game, obviously, is Jalen Hurts being 100%. Um, but I like the Eagles to roll. All right, Sunday, first game of the day, Cincinnati-Buffalo, 3 p.m. Weather could be a factor. Um, could be some rain, some snow. Uh, not a lot of it, I don't think. Uh, Buffalo's laying five and a half. The public likes Cincinnati. Remember, the last time we saw these two teams, Cincinnati was up 7-3. The Bengals were driving before the DeMar Hamlin uh, incident, uh, and it's phenomenal. He apparently is now at the facility um, almost every day. Um, miracle. Uh, Buffalo's laying five and a half. The public views that as too many. They're taking Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati got beat up in that Baltimore game. I like Buffalo laying the five and a half. I think this is the game I feel the most confident about. I also like in this game the under because a lot of people going over. Remember with the with the way that game started, both teams kind of going up and down the field in that Monday night game a few weeks ago. The total's at 49. The public is on the over in a big way in this game. I'll take under the 49 Bills Bengals. Now, I've been talking all week that I was going to like the Cowboys and probably give them out in the smell test. I'm not. That line's back up to four. Um, It came all the way down to three, so there's some sharp money buying that. 
minus three uh, with the 49ers. The public's on the Niners. I may play Dallas personally. Um, I'd lean Dallas a little bit plus the four, but it's but it's not an official pick. So the three smell test picks for the weekend, Eagles laying the seven and a half, the Bills laying the five and a half, and under Cincinnati Buffalo under the 49 in that game. All right, Cooley next on Greg Roman, and we'll preview all four of these games in more detail right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Cooley's with me. He has a short window here, so we're going to cover a bunch of things real quickly here uh, on this Friday before divisional round playoff weekend. Before we get to the four games, Washington in OC search mode. Uh, as we talked about, they fired Scott Turner. Um, they have interviewed so far as the recording of this podcast is happening, Pat Shermer, uh, former you know head coach in New York, the former OC in Denver. He's been an OC in Minnesota the year that Case Keenum was the quarterback and they went to the NFC Championship game. They have interviewed uh, Ken Zampezi, who is on their staff already as the QB's coach. Uh, they are interviewing or have interviewed Charles London. He's a quarterback's coach in Atlanta. Um, but the guy that I want to ask you about is a guy that became available yesterday. Greg Roman stepped down as the offensive coordinator in Baltimore. The Greg Roman who had Alex Smith, had Colin Kaepernick, has had Lamar Jackson, um, has been a running game, a run-first coach, which is what Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew said last week. They want to be a run-first team. What do you think about Washington pursuing Greg Roman if they do? If you want to be a run-based team, I think Greg Roman's as good as it gets as a coordinator in the league. What he did over the last few years with Baltimore and before that, and uh, his his skill set in, in getting a team to run the ball creatively, and, and and also be able to throw the ball creatively and, and do some things like that are are about as good as I've seen in the league. I've had a chance to get to know Greg Roman um, in different situations, not really well, but. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a terrific coach. I'm sure that would be that would be number one on my list. Is is Greg Roman? I, he's going to be coveted by more teams in the league as coaches get hired, and that's going to be a tough get. I, you know, you look at it, Kevin. It's like 
Greg Roman, unless he didn't want to be a head coach, potentially isn't that far from being a head coach. I mean, maybe if you're sitting there saying this ownership and this organization is going to be in place, and if Ron didn't make it through the year, but the offense was great, or if we didn't win, then maybe Greg Roman's the, the next head coach. But I, I just don't. I don't see Greg Roman going to Washington with the potential of being fired in the next year. Then I'm not saying that's that's going to happen. They they can win. Greg Roman could go to Washington, and they they could win 10, 11, 12 games, and things could completely change, and the narrative could completely change. But I think that's a tough hire. Also, Greg Roman's not going to be cheap, and and I don't know if anyone there cares about spending money or not spending money. But I, I would love I would love that hire. I would hire Greg Roman anywhere. Why? Ha- I sound like a Dr. Seuss book. Why? Would you say here, there, anywhere? Yeah. I, said, I sound like a Dr. Seuss book. Um, why hasn't he, all of these years, as a successful offensive coordinator, listen, listen to where his rush offenses have ranked in, in in total yards at the end of each season. All right, this is pretty impressive in terms of yards. Second this year in Baltimore third last year in Baltimore, first in 2020 in Baltimore, first in 2019 in Baltimore, first in 2016 in Buffalo, I think that was Tyrod Taylor, 2015 in Buffalo first, 2014 in San Francisco fourth, 2013 third, 2012 fourth, uh, and in 2011 with Alex Smith as the full-time starter, they were eighth. He has never been lower than eighth in rushing offense as an offensive coordinator. And every year but that first year as an OC in 2011, he's had a top-five rush offense. So why hasn't he become a head coach? Probably exactly what you just said, rushing the ball isn't cool. Cliff Kingsbury is the best passing coordinator in college football for whatever year, and he's hired as a head coach. He was, he was just an OC in college football. Yeah. That was he was he the head coach in Oklahoma? Uh, no, te- te- Texas, coach, right? Tech. Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. Texas Tech. Was yeah. he the head coach? Or was he the coordinator when he came out? He he was a te- no. He was the uh, he was the head coach at Texas Tech. Right. But, but wait wait wait. Am I am I am I blanking here? He, he had been. A, I know he had been a college head coach, but uh, it's not important. No, no he, he was the, he was the head coach. He had been the head coach at Texas Tech for several years. But still, it's a college head coach who can throw the ball. Right. And there we go. We're fine. The rushing the ball just seems to be not cool. You want to be able to throw the ball in the NFL, and that seems to be what everyone wants. And the other thing you look at is he's first in rushing offense all the years that you listed off, and you're looking at Super Bowl. You know? How many do you, How many was Greg Roman a part of? It might have been a couple. No. It, it wasn't was, Buffalo. No, it, it wasn't in Baltimore. No, it was twenty twelve. It, 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 it was twenty twelve in San Francisco when they lost to uh, when they lost to Baltimore. That's it. That's the only the Super Bowl. Month. And that's the last time anywhere in the top five. Well, probably not. But you get the point. No, I, no, said, I know what you're saying. I, 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 said, I we've seen well, some rush first Washington, teams in the Super Bowl. But go ahead. Yeah. No. You have some. There are some rush first teams, but. With Greg Roman, and and by the way, I, it's hard to even stereotype Greg Roman in that respect. I don't, I don't even want to do that. He's just really good at it, and so rush first teams hire him. Yeah, but that's—I don't even know if it's fair to say Greg Roman is is a rush 
only type type of guy or, or run the game run offense type of guy. Greg Erlman, I'm sure, can come up with a pretty pretty good plan to throw the football. Very good at formations. He's very good at creating motion. He's very good at creating misdirection and pre-snap problems. All that ties into throwing the football as well. I mean, I think you have to have all that stuff. So I don't even feel like what we're doing is fair. It's just that's where he's been, and that's the need he's had. And it's interesting because I do. You and I both understand that Washington wants to be a rest-first offense. And it's awesome, and it's a great ideal but what if you end up getting a, a better quarterback and something falls into your lap? Or what if you get halfway through the season and now Howell's really throwing the ball around? Then you're not a rush only offense. And they have weapons. That reason. I mean, you have two. Well, that, that was my next Terry question. McLaurin's one of the better receivers. Terry McLaurin's one of the better receivers in the league. And Jahan Dotson it very well could be one of the better receivers in the league next year or in the next couple of years. And you have Curtis Samuel, and you have Antonio Gibson, who I think if you want to be a throw-the-ball-more type of team, could be on the field as one of your 11 a lot. So, uh, I mean, you make the argument in a bunch of different ways. You can make the argument that that says we want to be a a rush-first team, and you can say we want Robinson and Antonio Gibson both in the backfield, and Curtis Samuel can come in the backfield, and we can go fly sweep stuff with Terry and John and... Jahan's a deep threat. He's our big-time deep threat guy. and Terry's our third-down guy. There's a lot of directions they could go with it. I know, but... But I just think it's hard to pigeonhole yourself into, we want to be a rush-off. Well, this is what they're saying. You don't even know what you are. Yeah, this is what they said, and, you know, we all have kind of understood here in recent years that, you know, they say one thing one week, and then a few weeks later, they say something else. And obviously, all of their last season off-season activity did not reflect a team that was philosophically in favor of running at, you know, a 65-35 or 60-40 clip. By the way, Robert Griffin III, our favorite, you know, tweet, um, uh, tweeted out the following um, yesterday. Greg Roman may be the greatest run game tactician I have ever been around at the NFL level. Running backs and tight ends love his system because they eat. Wide receivers absolutely hate it. That's why free agent wide receivers didn't want to go to or stay in Baltimore. It was never about Lamar Jackson. Um it's true, you know, Hollywood Brown won it out. They never could attract wide receivers. Uh, Greg Roman in San Francisco the year that he had Alex Smith in 2011. He had Vernon Davis on that team. Crabtree. Uh, Crabtree um, on those teams. And by the way, I was looking at the 2011, his first season as an OC with Alex Smith. They threw the ball pretty much. They ran it more with Frank Gore, but they, ran, they threw the ball a lot. It was with Kaepernick where he really – in midway through that 2012 season, started running dual-threat quarterback stuff. You know, and, and kind of took it from what Seattle and Washington were doing, you know, when Kaepernick came in halfway through that season. But I think one of the quandaries that Rivera and, Mar- and Mayhew are going to have is by announcing the way they did so emphatically, we are philosophically a heavy run-to-pass ratio team well, what does that mean for Terry McLaurin, who did make a Pro Bowl this year, but didn't even make the top nine in voting in all pro voting because he only had 77 catches? You know, you just, leave. you just drafted Jahan Dotson. So, personally, 
I wouldn't mind if Greg Roman came here and Sam Howell with his running ability and they played it that way because I don't think they're going to get a quarterback that they can really rely on. And maybe Sam Howell will be that guy too. Maybe he'll be even better than Lamar Jackson throwing the football and they'll be able to do a lot more. But anyway, you would say yes to Greg Roman. I would say yes to Greg Roman. What do you think about Pat Shermer? Anything? Any thoughts? Quickly? You know, it's interesting because I think you've watched a couple of years. Before we started this, you talked about the year in Minnesota with Case Keenum, and I think Pat Shermer's a good coach. Where is Pat Shermer? Um, well, he uh, right now I don't think is anywhere. I think this year was his year off after Fangio got fired and Hackett got fi- uh, hired in Denver. Um he was the OC in Denver for, for Fangio in 20 and 21. He did not coach this year. He didn't coach this year. No, it's, it's, yeah. It's interesting. Like those guys that have been a head coach and have been an OC and then have been a head coach and then have gone back to be an OC. And <laughs> the administrative stuff is, it, to me is where people fail as a head coach and, and the culture and the dynamic and the direction of your team is where they fail as a head coach. But an offensive coordinator, for the most part, in an NFL building is is going to run the day for the offense. Right. I mean, they are going to run the installation meetings. They are basically the head coach of the offense. I, you really, in a lot of ways, you do look. I look at an NFL team and a lot of college teams as, as two parts. Not that they they don't do some things together, but no one on offense knows what anyone on defense is doing. The time's not really there. Right. So you have an offensive coordinator running a team, and like to me, it's sometimes interesting when people fail as an OC. I think we mentioned this with Bowles the other day. I thought Bowles just doesn't have the time as a head coach to be the DC, and it's it's. I mean, I know they had a couple of good defenses in in New York, but it's not the same. Like the year he was in Arizona, and then the last couple of years in Tampa, the defense was way different when he wasn't the head coach. You mean so when, it, when he was the head coach? When, Bowles, when, when Arians was the head coach, it oh. was much better That's with, what the, mean, yeah. with Bowles as a defensive coordinator. Right. Almost like when Josh McDaniels left for a year to Denver out of New England, he's much better as an offensive coordinator than he is as a head coach. And maybe you'll figure it out in, in Las Vegas. But so I, for me, some of these guys, it's just they need a little bit more time or they don't want to manage the entire thing. And back to Greg Roman, maybe part of why he's not a head coach is because Greg Roman's just going to say, like, I like coaching offense. I still get my guys. I still get to run the system the way I want to run the system. And I still get to do all the insulation. And I don't want to deal with the headache. It's not like it's bad money. Right. Greg Roman's probably $3 million, $4 million a year. Three, three, probably two and a half, three. As an OC. I don't know. I'm sure you could. I bet you could look it up. But he's over two. Um, I'm looking it up. So uh, it's just some of those guys have that in them to be that great administrator and that great leader, and some of them three and a half have it in them to really ruin them. Three, yep, there you go. Yeah. I think that's where I started. Um, all right. Put your money for an OC. Let's, let's talk playoff games. Uh, Jags-Chiefs is the first game tomorrow at Arrowhead. Kansas City's a nine-point favorite. Jacksonville with that comeback. Um, do you give Jacksonville a chance? funny because I like Jacksonville a lot against Los Angeles, but I would have liked Los Angeles a lot more 
against Kansas City. Right. I don't think you. I don't want to take anything away from what from momentum though, and they built momentum through the end of the season. Obviously, started slow against Los Angeles with, with four picks and turnovers and down twenty seven points, but they still found a way to build on what they had in that momentum and rally. Uh, but all that said, no, I don't give them a chance. I, I, no. I think that Kansas City's too much. I think it's overwhelming. And the difference is, is Andy Reid's a better coach, and if they are to get up 14 or 21 points, they won't stop. They won't turn the ball over. They'll continue to score. And I don't think Jacksonville can stop. Remember last year, and I, and I kind of felt this way this year as well, um, but last year in particular when – the Chiefs, you know, were playing some close games early on, and they lost some games. They got, you know, and I said to you, Mahomes looks bored. There are times even this year, and by the way, they didn't, you know, they lost an AFC title game at home last year um, after that amazing game against Buffalo. I think this year at times he looks kind of bored. They have played ridiculously close games against inferior opponents. You know, they could have lost to Houston very easily. They went to overtime against them. They had two nail biters against Denver. That's just in the last month and, you know, the really the last month, month and a half of the season. Um, I, I give Jacksonville a chance. Because I think Kansas City defensively isn't great. I mean, Chris Jones is outstanding. Um, and I think that, that Mahomes might give up the ball once or twice. And by the way, I think Jacksonville's got some real talent on defense. Like, I mean, I think they've got some real playmakers in that uh, in Josh Allen and that guy uh, Olakon in Trayvon Walker and Rayshon Jenkins. I know they've given up a lot of points, but I think they make a lot of plays too. Um, I could see Jacksonville keeping this close. I didn't give them out as a smell test pick in the opening. Well, I, I wouldn't but... be surprised to see it fairly close. I, it's a playoff, so you're not going to be surprised to see anything. I, I just think with the extra week and it's the playoffs, I, I don't see Mahomes board, and the other side of it is, I think some of the Josh Allen spark from this year. I, Mahomes is Mahomes, but there's always it's always fun when you have somebody to push you, and I, I think he's. I have a point to prove to make sure it's it's him and not Allen. Yeah. Um. All right. Giants Eagles tomorrow night. The the Eagles are seven and a half point favorites. See, like the way the Giants have been playing, that line almost stinks to me. Like you would think the Giants, they would only be five or four point favorites for some reason. I feel, I, I feel that way. Yes, you're and right. And I right. want to say that I would give, I want to say that I would give the Giants a chance, but the Giants have had an uphill battle, and honestly, have played good football throughout the year. Dable's a really good coach. I think they are a building program. But you give the Eagles uh, the, the bye week, you give Hurts another week off to rest, to get healthy, and I just think that the Eagles are going to be too much for them. Yeah. It, again, like, and, and the spread, the line stinks too. Like, I, I would be Eagles <laughs> all the way on that line. You, you become a <laughs> it, good student. It just, I gave out the Eagles. The Eagles are a smell test pick. That line's too high. The public loves the Giants. And I, and here's what I think is crucial. Obviously, Jalen Hurts has to be Jalen Hurts. But the Giants don't have anybody to match up with Devontae Smith, to match up with, with A.J. Brown um, in particular. And I know that they did a nice job on Justin Jefferson. But the truth is, Minnesota moved the ball up and down the field against the Giants. Well, they and, had to triple. They had to double and triple Jefferson. Yeah, and, and the real issue was that 
they faced the worst defense in the NFL in Minnesota's defense. Ed Donatel got fired um, yesterday, um, rightly so. And the Eagles are going to be able to disrupt the Giants offensively. I think this has... I actually really think the Giants, like you said, and I agree with you and I said this, they're on the rise. They're well coached and they've got a lot of cap space. They are definitely on the rise. But I think tomorrow night is the Eagles really looking like the Eagles have at various times. Let's not forget when they last played in a real game, um, they beat the Giants 48-22. to I mean, the Giants could not stop them. I like the Eagles uh, right. big tomorrow night as well. Um, Sunday, the it's it's not the resumption, okay, of the uh, Demar Hamlin game, but it's the Bengals at the Bills. The Bengals, you know, are a little bit upset that this game's in Buffalo and not in neutral field, like they will do with Buffalo and Kansas City next week um, if Buffalo wins. Uh, but Buffalo is a five and a half point favorite over Cincinnati. How do you see this one? I, I think it goes about that way. I think this stays. Probably a fairly close game. The, the Bengals really are a team that plays pretty good defense, and that's without talking about their offense in Burrow. But Allen's just so hard to stop, and the Bills are going to find a way to score. He finds ways to score. Uh, that, that offense with Diggs, and they added Beasley throughout the season. He's been really helpful, although he really contributed to a big pick last week. Yeah. And Singletary and the Bush is is another guy. And they don't run the ball much, but those guys contribute. And I like the tight end, Dalton Knox. And uh, as soon as Allen can't really distribute, then he becomes a runner, and then it changes the dynamic, and it's just tough to stop. And then you flip it, and Buffalo's given up some points, but still, that is an extremely talented defense. And think of the games the Bengals have struggled in or lost this year. It's the big-time pressure. And the offensive line really isn't great. So if and Burrow's not in perfect time and banged up, and if he's not in perfect timing and rhythm, the Bills are going to start getting home. If the Bills get a lead, they're going to start building on a lead. It's going to be tough because the Bengals can't stay balanced. I love Burrow. I mean, Chase is unbelievable. Higgins is a phenomenal play. Like, they're a talented team. I just think Buffalo – Buffalo's coming out on top of this one. I gave Buffalo out minus the five and a half. I think Cincinnati looked beat up uh, in that Baltimore game. I think Baltimore, when you play Baltimore a week later, um, it's not, you know, you're, you're banged up. And they're injured along the offensive line, even if those guys play. Um, I think if that game had gone to overtime last week, I think Baltimore would have won. By the way, did we talk about this? Harbaugh probably, with his analytics people, would have gone for two there if they had scored at the end. I think the absolute right thing to do, given how their defense was dominating, would have been to kick the extra point. Did we talk about that? I forget, on, on Monday. We didn't talk about it. I don't know what he would have done there. It's interesting if you want to continue to play, if he's going to continue to play analytics in that fashion into the playoffs. You got it. You got it's got to be about context. You get you have Tyler Huntley at the end of the first year, uh, first half of that game, first and goal through three ground balls. They weren't going to the chance of them converting a two pointer to win the game to me would have been much less than 50%. And the chance that they would have had in overtime with the way their defense was playing and the way they were running the ball, they would have had a better than 50 50 chance to win the game in overtime. Uh, that's yeah, the way I would, I, I would agree it. with you. And, and it's tough in the play. It's like I'm fine playing the analytics with blackjack all the way up to about a hundred dollar bet. And then once it starts to get to two, three hundred, four hundred, I'm like, 
I'm going with my gut. Really? <laughs> you all, even do your bet size dictate dictates a, a, a blackjack strategy for you? A blackjack? Not not all. And it doesn't change the way. I'm still hitting a 16, but it's like. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, got, it's harder to. I got $400 on the table, and here's an 11. Boom. And I'm looking at an 8 on the other side. Should double that 11, right? Of course. It's 400 bucks. I'm like, I'm already at like quad my bet. I am doubled. Like, just give me a card. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no. You've got to double down. My God. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, the, the, the bet really size makes, doesn't the, change blackjack strategy. It changes the way you feel about hitting 16 against a 10. I understand that, but it does. It shouldn't well, the change. Card, the next card, the next card, whether I double down or not, the next card, the next card. Yeah, I'm not changing. Yeah, the but card. but doubling down is what although gives you. Although you can change it, although you can change it when you have an 11 and you don't double it down, and here comes an eight. And you're like, Whew, glad I didn't double it down. <laughs> now we're sitting at 12. <laughs> Boom, 10, bust, dealer turns over yeah, a you six, still won he's the got hand. 14, he hits the six, and then he, t- he turns over the six, he, he's got 14, and all of a sudden the seven comes out and everyone at the table oh. is like, if you'd have doubled, he would have taken the 10 after the 14, and we would have all won. Well, no, you, you were still only got, taking one, one card in the right? double. You are still only taking one card in the double. No, if you didn't double. Oh, if you didn't double. You, well, you're y- taking an ace, and then you're well, taking no, no, the ten, no, but and then you're busting. But you're taking the dealer oh, ten, who would have busted with, with the ten. Yeah, because if you did doubling down, you get the one card. But so, what are you saying that you? So, so you, you know, that's right. You took the second card. Understood. Now I'm saying I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Bottom line is though, black blackjack strategy is blackjack strategy, and your bet size shouldn't change that. Well, you know, football strategy should be football strategy, but the point is really it just no. But it's it, different. It, it it's it's different. Tougher. It's it's much different. I understand. They're, they're, okay, they're, I got yeah. one more game because I got to get going. Cowboys, move on. Cowboys, Forty ers Still, I, I like the way the Cowboys played last week. I but I think Tampa played like dog crap, and I think Tampa really was done at the end of the year. Dallas obviously much better than they played against Washington the week before, but they they. So this one we talked after the game. I said, I think that game had no bearing. I think they treated it as third preseason game. That said, I do think Dallas can create pressure on Purdy. I do think that they can cause problems with San Francisco's offense. Uh, that, that defense is unbelievable, but I think Kyle will find a way to get pretty comfortable early to get the ball out of his hands. And I just don't see Dallas's offense being dominant against that San Francisco defense. I, I, you didn't say what the line was in this game, but I like the 49ers, whatever it is in this game. Uh, they're up to four. They were down to three. I think it's short. I like Dallas. I didn't give them out, but I think Dallas is actually the right side here. I think this will be a really close game. Um, all that's, right. that's, I'm looking forward to that game. Thank you for doing this. Enjoy your trip. I'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Up next, we look back 40 years ago Sunday to the most memorable game, in my opinion, in franchise history. And to help us do that, the great Dexter Manley. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language 
in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This last segment of the show is presented by Window Nation. Uh, It's home show season, and Window Nation is bringing the home show savings to you. Get 0% financing for 60 months. That's five years, no interest, plus buy two, get two free. So you're paying half price on the windows. Go to windownation.com slash home show. Try their free virtual visualizer. You just upload a picture of your home, and you can view hundreds of their window options on your home to see what they would look like. Call 866-90. Nation. Go to windownation.com slash home show. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate uh, and you can take advantage of their big time savings. Coming up here shortly, uh, I'm very much looking forward to talking to Dexter Manley. Why am I talking to Dexter Manley? This happened 40 years ago this Sunday. Tony Hill comes out wide to the right. Pearson and Johnson wide to the left. Down and down hard. Dexter Manley was the man who hit him, and White is still down and hurting. Second quarter, Dexter Manley knocks out Danny White. Gary Hogabooms, the backup quarterback. 40 years ago this Sunday, Washington beat the Cowboys in the NFC title game. For me, the most memorable game in franchise history. I know that three weeks ago we did with Billy Kilmer a 50-year look back to the 72 championship game win over the Cowboys. That is right up there among the greatest wins in franchise history for me. The 82 season, the strike-shortened season, where the Skins went 8-1, and one, lost to the Cowboys in the regular season at home, then went through the postseason beating Detroit, then Minnesota, and then getting to host the Cowboys on January 22, 1983, 40 years ago this Sunday. That game that day is the most memorable day for me as a sports fan of all of my favorite teams uh, in this town. I'll never 
forget that day. I'll never forget going to the stadium that day, getting there early that day, the crowd being in their seats 45 minutes before kickoff, chanting, we want Dallas. There was a bloodthirst, um, a noise level, a raucousness that I've never, ever been a part of as a fan in any stadium or any arena that matches that day 40 years ago. I can't believe that it was 40 years ago. Washington went into that game. They were an underdog. They were a two-point underdog to the Cowboys. The Cowboys had beaten the week before the Packers 37-26. to Washington had beaten Minnesota 21-7. to At the end of the Minnesota game, the game in which uh, John Riggins took a bow after rushing 37 times for 185 yards, uh, Washington won that game 21-7. That was the beginning of the We Want Dallas chant. The next day, the Packers and the Cowboys played, and Washington fans wanted a rematch with their arch rival. They got it, and the buildup to this game in the week before was like none other. The city was at a standstill. Everywhere you went, there were banners hanging off buildings. There were flags flying from cars. The city was fired up. Interestingly, it was a cold, cloudy, gray, typical RFK late season game. There was a forecast for four inches of snow to fall beginning right before the game and during the game, but it never materialized. Meteorology was not in 1983 what it is today. Um, It never materialized. It was a cold, cloudy, gray day. The snow came at the very end of the game, and that was it. Uh, And I don't think actually we ever got the big snowstorm that they were forecasting. Um, But the game itself, I mean, right from the jump, I mean, the crowd was beside itself chanting, we want Dallas. I've heard Tony Dorsett say, um, and other Cowboys talk about that day. Dorsett in particular many years ago said, we knew when we walked up that tunnel and onto the field for warm-ups, it was going to be a crowd and an atmosphere unlike any other. Um, they always talked, the Cowboys did, about RFK and what it was like to play at RFK as the visiting team. But that day was special. The Cowboys scored first in the game on a Rafael Septien field goal to give them a 3 to nothing lead, but the Redskins answered on this touchdown pass from Joe Theismann to Charlie Brown, as called by the great Pat Summerall and John Madden. Averaging eight yards a carry so far, and they'll accept that. A quick count, Theismann looking down the middle. Has a receiver, touchdown Redskins. Charlie Brown in front of Emerson Walls. That gave Washington a 7-3 first quarter lead, and it was a lead that they never gave up the rest of the way. Um, But there were key moments in this game. In the second quarter, Washington was forced to punt with a 7-3 lead, and this is what happened. Jeff Hayes back to kick. He, too, has been inconsistent. The first Washington punt. Rod Hill back deep for Dallas. He'll keep all day long and a lot more like it. Fumble! Emerson Walls is back on the ball. The ball in the end zone. 
could be a touchdown. It could be they'll rule that the impetus is back up at the spot where the ball was fielded, and that's what they'll say. Washington, nevertheless, will have the ball. Monty Coleman made the hit that caused it. It's going to be the muff rule. Now it's Riggins and Wansley, and it's Riggins for the touchdown. The muffed punt and then the subsequent Riggins touchdown run gave Washington a 14-3 halftime lead. Um, but after Danny White had been knocked out of the game by Dexter Manley, Washington did uh, see their lead shrink early in the third quarter when Gary Hogaboom threw a touchdown pass to Drew Pearson to make it 14 to 10. But then maybe the biggest play of the game, 14 to 10, third quarter, the ensuing kickoff, I think the greatest punt and kickoff returner in Washington Redskins history, Mike Nelms on the ensuing kickoff. Septian's kick goes to Nelms. Nelms will start from the Redskins four-yard line. Nelms has got some room. He's got only Septian. Now he's got somebody else chasing. Nelms finally taken to the ground by Dennis Thurman. Yard kickoff return. That 76-yard kickoff return set up another John Riggins touchdown from four yards out. Washington had a 21-10 lead. Still wasn't over. Hogaboom hit Butch Johnson for a touchdown pass uh, late in the third quarter to make it 21-17. Listen to how silent the crowd goes on this touchdown pass. Now we'll see if he can stay perfect out of the shotgun. Got a blitz going. Hoga boom for Johnson. Touchdown. A penalty marker down. Penalty flag in the end zone. Johnson going with the California quake. Hoga boom had the ball right there. But keep in mind there is a flag down. It's against the Redskins. Illegal contact. Number 45. Defense. Penalty decline. Touchdown. The crowd fell completely silent on that touchdown pass. You know, back then, you didn't have StubHub for resale. In a stadium like RFK and a fan base like Washington's, you just didn't get many of the opponent's fans into the stadium. You could have probably counted the number of Cowboy fans in that stadium on like two to three hands out of the 55,035 that were there. By the way, in watching that play uh, again, I don't think Butch Johnson today um, would have completed the catch to the ground. Uh, I think it would have been ruled incomplete. He did get both feet in bounds in the back of the end zone, and then he went to the ground after 
uh, he got both feet in and did not survive the ground with the ball intact. It may have been overturned had there been replay uh, back then. But anyway, it was 21 to 17. Washington added a field goal to make a tw- uh, to give themselves a 24 to 17 lead in the fourth quarter. And then with seven minutes plus left in the game, the Cowboys had the ball deep in their own territory, trailing by seven with a chance to go down the field and tie the game up. But this happened truly one of the iconic plays in team history. You look at it, fourth quarter, 17, uh, seven points separating the team. It's also the difference between going to the Super Bowl or not. One of these teams will be in Pasadena next week, and the other one will be spread around the country watching it on television. And the financial considerations are substantial. If you go all the way, each man will get an extra $70,000. Ogaboom fakes. Throws the screen, has it batted away and picked off in the air by Daryl Grant. Touchdown, Richmond. And with that, Dexter Manley tip, Daryl Grant interception, bringing it into the end zone. Uh, That was it. Uh, Washington had a 31-17 lead, and that's how it ended. The Sports Illustrated cover, that was a big deal back in the day. Wham, bam, it's the Redskins, and it's a picture of Daryl Grant spiking the ball into the end zone uh, after that play. Uh, Washington was off to Super Bowl 17. The Cowboys were headed home. Uh, the Cowboys had packed suitcases to go directly from Washington to Pasadena because there wasn't a two-week respite between championship games and the Super Bowl. There was only one week that year. It was a strike-shortened year. They, extant- they expanded the playoffs, and so there was only a week. Uh, Washington was moving on to Pasadena where they would win Super Bowl seventeen. Uh, a week later in Pasadena. So uh, it is my pleasure to bring on one of the stars of that game and one of my favorite people to have conversations with, especially when it involves Redskins versus Cowboys. Dexter Manley joins me right now. How have you been? Well, one day at a time, Kevin. <laughs> I, I I tell you what, Kevin, I've gone through the rain, the wind, and the storm, but now I'm on the other side. I'm coming up on 17 years clean on June 17th. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, that's good to hear. I hope you're in good health. And, you know, the the reason I reached out to you the other day, uh, Dex, is because Sunday, this coming Sunday, is the 40-year anniversary of Washington beating the Cowboys 31 to 17 in the NFC Championship game. You knocked Danny White out in the game. You tipped the ball up into the air that Daryl Grant caught. Can you can you believe it's been 40 years? Well, I can't believe it, but thank God I'm still here. <laughs> yes. So what do you remember about that day? Well, what I remember about that day is that uh Coming from Reston, Virginia, uh, we stayed at the Dulles Marriott. And once you get on, uh, I say you start look at the traffic on GW Parkway. Yeah. And, well, you, you know, you see so many 
the fans, they got the Redskins on the trucks, their cars, and not only that, and then when you get on 395, then you see uh, some of the Dallas Cowboys vehicles, and it, it was it was it was unbelievable. And then when you take that exit, get, going down RFK, uh, uh, whatever street that is, getting to the stadium by DC Armor, yep, uh, it, it was so exciting. Just that alone was exciting. And, and Kevin, see, I grew up in Houston, Texas. My whole family liked the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I was crazy about the Dallas Cowboys. I remember when I was a kid, uh, they beat the uh, uh, Green Bay Packers in the storm, and, and, and uh, well, I think they beat them or lost. But anyway, uh, 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 going to that game on that Saturday, and you get up there by D.C. Armor, you just see the massive of people. Uh, the Cowboys, the Redskins. I'm not going to call them the command. I'm calling them the Cowboys. You call them the Redskins. I'm calling calling them the Redskins. That's fine with me. That's down the road. That's who you played for. You played for the Redskins. Yeah, I mean, it it was so exciting, and I knew that we had to perform because in this town, the the Cowboys have been running to the Redskins for a lot of years. For a lot of years, and, and, and like I said, that my uh, everybody in Houston, Texas, I know they was rooting for they were rooting for me personally, and and they loved the Cowboys. <laughs> but when you walk in that stadium, at RFK Stadium, uh, you feel the energy, electricity, and you know sometimes we we'll get to the stadium early. You go out, you go out on the field. You have to excuse my voice. I'm hoarse. You go on the field, you come out of that tone, just doing warm-up, even way before warm-up, and you see all the banners in, in the stadium. <laughs> it was saying, we won Dallas, and I saw some Dexter Manlin. Uh, uh, everything was John Riggins, but I saw a lot of Dexter Manlin uh, sure banners, too. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and just all that combustion and, and going into the game. And, and i tell you one thing. Uh, no question about it. Richard Pettibone, uh, uh, Larry Peccatelli, and Talk It Talks, we was well prepared. We did many walkthroughs. Richard gave big talks about the history of the Cowboys, uh, and uh, they put us in good position. I, I mean, that's one thing I knew about the Redskins coaching staff. They're going to put the players in good position. Now, there was a lot of players on that was talented, and there was a lot of players just did their job. Right. And, and so, uh, uh, so, so let yeah. me let me do this. So you've already laid it out, you know. And one of the things, and I talked to Joe Theismann about it on the radio show. I talked to Doc about it this morning on the radio show. Um, for me, and I was at the game. You know, I was there that day. And for me, it's still the most memorable sporting event I've ever been to. It's the most raucous. Uh, crazed crowd, loudest stadium I have ever been in. And you mentioned this. You refer you you referred to it. 
We used to be the family that would get to the games right before kickoff, but on this particular Saturday for this game, we got there like we got there 45 minutes early. And the stadium was filled 45 minutes early right. chanting we want Dallas. And you know what this was like. I mean, I loved when in your football life special, you talked about RFK and what it was like for the Cowboy games and big games and you got so emotional and it's the same way a lot of us felt as fans. And that was though that was the day. I mean, I don't think I've ever and I haven't been in an environment like that when you walked onto that field even for warm-ups. You know, what are your yeah, memories right. of what that crowd was like and what it was going to be like for the poor Cowboys? Well, i tell you what. i never forget walking on the – coming out of that tunnel for warm-ups. It, it was uh, uh, it was electrifying. Just see all the people that had all their gear on and the banners. And I remember – to me, that was a big deal because this is my second year in the league and – you come out, you see Brent Musburger, I see Jim uh, and the Greek, they're all talking about yeah. the Redskins, uh, uh, what we're going to do as a team. They talked about, they talked about Joe Gibbs, and, and then they put the camera on Jack Ken Cook a few times. But what just coming out of that tunnel, man, you know that you've got to go out here and beat these Cowboys, not only for ourselves, but for the city. Because these guys have been running through the Redskins for years. And and uh, uh, it was just in my crow to uh, be the best Dexter man I could be that day. Because I remember that my father, not my mother, my father loved them Cowboys. <laughs> all his And now all of a sudden I'm on the Redskin team. And I get a chance to stand up in the mud and do what I need to do. Yeah, and it was you know remember RFK when you got late in the season and the weather turned and that field would turn into dirt and then they would just spray paint it green. I mean that that That's right. that turf was was rock hard and it was dirt, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like playing on concrete a little bit. <laughs> All right, but well, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and I tell you. Uh, I can say, uh, 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 Kevin, uh, uh, that was a lot of times I made aggressive mistakes, but I, I remember looking at that, that setup and talking went over that in the defensive line meetings, and they had a different setup. Tony Dorsett, when Gary Hoverboom came in to replace uh, Danny White, the formation was the back. Tony Depp was almost lined up behind I forgot that tackle who was the tackle. And you knew that that was going to be a screen. I want to tell you something. I didn't rush the passer like I should have because I felt like that's going to be a screen. Yeah. Now, in, in, in uh, uh, hold on. In, in, the, uh, <laughs> uh, in California, we was getting ready to play the, uh, uh, the Miami Dolphins. Right. Target, target. We look at the film from the uh, championship game. Target targets and kind of chewed me out because I didn't go ahead and rush the passer. I stayed back a little bit because I was anticipating the screen. And see, I wasn't able to back that ball down because I didn't go rush the field. I, I, you know, people don't give me a lot of credit, but uh, I was sorry. You know, I was you. 
you knew you and Daryl Grant both knew that the screen was coming, and you Bingo. You, you you both hesitated because you felt screen. I've watched the play a million times, right. and you got your hands up on the ball, tipped it up into the air, right. and Daryl Grant was laying. He was laying back too, playing the screen because he was throwing the screen right. to Dorsett. Dorsett was out on the right. screen, and the tackle that you're talking about, I think, was Pat Donovan. I think that's who it was. Yeah, I, I guess, but yeah. but you're right. Uh, I was anticipating the screen, and I think even Darren like you said, because you know he's inside, and how does guy come around and loop? Well, I hit the ball, and it goes right in his hand. Yeah, and I knew that from that point on, and when he scored that touchdown, it was over. And you see, just you know, it was it's unbelievable. I don't think you see many sports in this country like that. <laughs> that that place erupted. It was it was such a it was such a great moment. You you we skipped ahead here because there, there's a rather significant play that happened earlier in the game, which is why Gary Hogaboom was in the game in the first place. And I want to talk about that. But since we jumped ahead to the to the clincher, your deflection, Daryl Grant's interception return. What do you remember about the celebration in the end zone? Did you guys the game was there were seven minutes left. They were down two touchdowns. That was pretty much it. The game was over. It, it was over. Well, I don't remember much because once Daryl scored the touchdown, see, I didn't go in the crowd and, and do the celebration. I went on to the sideline. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, yeah, but I just knew that it was pandemonium from the players and the fans. Uh, we played off each other. Uh, and, and so uh, that's about all. I, I knew then that that game was over. We had beat the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, That, that was my only hope and dream. Because, Kevin, I tell you, when I was a little boy, I loved them Dallas Cowboys. But when I went to <laughs> Oklahoma State, I stopped liking the Cowboys. But but I want to say this, is that uh, my whole family, man, they just loved them Cowboys. I got cousins and first cousins, aunts and uncles. Yeah. And now here I've got a chance to play in that stadium and, and watch me do my thing and and watch Joe Gibbs put a coaching staff together, especially defense. I can only speak from a defensive standpoint of view. And we was well prepared, and we had guys, you know, Big Dave Bunch and Daryl Grant plugging up the middle. And hey, we kicked their butts that day. You did. Now I want to. I want to talk about the, the signature play of uh, there were two signature plays of that of that game. We just went over the game clincher. But look, Gary Hogaboom's right. not in that game if you don't knock Danny White out in the first half. So tell me about your memories of that play. Okay, good call. <laughs> <laughs> well, the play was a Tex. Tex is a stunt. You know, you set the guy. What they, I, I stole it good, and Darren Grant stole it good. What I mean by that, I kind of got upfield, make whoever that tackle was, and so he turned out to block me. And down, down, pull that guard around, like pull his shoulders, and I came scot free. I like a freight train. I want to, I want to knock his head off. I'm not gonna be shy about it. Uh, I want to really close his lights, put his lights out. Yep. And and, and then make the play. That, that was it. And that was one of the plays. But uh, I think if Danny White would have stayed in that game. The results probably wouldn't differ because he was a player that would make uh, 
excellent passes, excellent plays. But on that day, what they forgot is that Joe Gibbs and Bobby Beckham had drafted a lot of guys that was in my class that who helped turn this whole organization around. See, that was the best football team in the Washington Redskins history, I think, because we were welcome. We had excellent uh, uh, talent on our team. And uh, the only thing I can say, Kevin, is that, hey, that was a great moment, not only for me, but for this organization and the city. That was a phenomenal moment. So have you ever talked to Danny White about that over the years or any of the Cowboys about that game? But let's start with Danny no. White. Have you ever run into Danny White and never talked to him? I'm glad you asked that question. I say about uh, not last year, you ever saw that, uh, 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 Bruce Allen uh, allowed me to have a pass to go on the field. On the field. Right. And I think when I finished this phone conversation, I'm going to text you the picture. Okay. I'm on the field. I had my preacher with me. I took him on the field, and and, and uh, we just walked around. And I'd be damned. Uh, Calvin Hill, I knew Calvin Hill when I was a rookie. You know, he and he, matter of fact, he 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 kind of showed me around on the field, and not showed me around, but walked me around, and me and the preacher. And, and so, and now I'm talking with Calvin Hill, and, and uh, who comes up? Danny White. <laughs> really? That's the first time. Yeah, I'm going to send you the picture when I get off this I, I want to see this. So tell me about what happened. Well, we just talked. We never talked about that day. And uh, <laughs> he just looked at me up and down. I looked at him. And that was it. We, <laughs> we talked, but we didn't say nothing about that day. Nothing about that day. You know, if he if he said something, I would have closed his lights out right now. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. <laughs> you you wouldn't have done it on the field as as older men. Uh, but that's that's yeah. the, so that's the only that was the only time. That's amazing, and that was a couple of years ago. You said when Bruce Allen was there, um, and I do want to see yeah. uh, the picture. So text it to me when we're done for sure. Um, Okay. That 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 to me, Dexter, that is the most memorable game in franchise history. You guys went on to win the Super Bowl the next week, but you know right. whether it's you know Rigo or Doc or Joe or Jake or any of them, they've always felt that that was the game. Like the Super Bowl was almost anticlimactic. Like it was great that you won the Super Bowl, but the big win was against Dallas in the <laughs> NFC Championship game. Do you feel the same way? Absolutely, but I want to ask you a question because uh, I was a little too young. I was young, but I don't remember who won that game when Kenny Houston stopped Walt Garrison on the one yard line. Did they win that game? Yeah, that was that. That was a right. That was a regular season game on Monday Night Football. Um, it would have been nine. It would have been eight years earlier. It was nineteen seventy three. In fact, Dexter on my Twitter uh, account, I have two pictures. Um, up uh, in my t- on my Twitter avatar, I have Ken Houston tackling Walt Garrison uh, before uh, he crossed the goal line, and I've got you sacking Danny White 
in the NFC Championship game. Two of my greatest uh, memories and two of the, the most memorable games for me as a fan of the team. Um, but yeah, the, the Ken Houston tackle was a regular season Monday night game, and yes, they did win that game. Yeah, okay. Well, I, 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 the reason I asked because you said something about uh, the greatest wins in the history yeah. of the organization. Right. Uh, not the greatest, but that was one of them. Yeah, and I just I, I, I don't remember seeing that play become becoming here being a Redskin. Uh, that's all I used to hear people talking about how Kenny Houston stopped Walt Gasser on the one yard line. Yeah, and, and uh, but it was just great. They were so great for this city. I mean, it was hey, you, it's, I could go anywhere in this town and get a free meal, get this, <laughs> buy this. It was amazing. Now I can't get I can't people throw me a dime or a penny. Do you remember after the game was over, you know, I, I how did you celebrate the win? Because remember there was only a week between the championship win over the Cowboys and then the Super Bowl. It wasn't two weeks like it normally was because that was the strike-shortened right. season. So, you know, how did you guys celebrate that win that, that, that afternoon? Well, I went back to the rest of You know, I was a choir boy then. So I went Good. into my extracurricular activity. <laughs> I was I almost hesitated asking you. So you were you were a choir boy. You were only, it was only second year in the league. Yeah, second year in the league. Plus I was going to Joe Gibbs uh uh what do you call that? Huh? What what you know, his, his, his the Joe yeah, before the before the uh uh the Saturday night we have I forgot what the they the, ma- it. the mass the, the 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 you're talking about a religious no, no. gathering. Yes, yes. Okay, so yes. did he have I a team mass? Yeah, we're gonna have a to have choir. People come sing. Right. Uh, uh, well, I forgot this guy who was a minister. He come he come in and talk to us, and uh, uh, so I was into that kind of stuff right. early on in my career. Got it. Yeah. Was it hard yeah. was it hard Dexter after that win to get up for the Super Bowl the following week? I know that sounds crazy to ask cuz you're playing in the Super Bowl, but it was such a big high beating the Cowboys. What was it like that following week to get up for the Super Bowl? Well, it was even bigger because then I, I like I said it was my second year in the league, but I understood the magnitude of that Super Bowl, Super Bowl 17. And so it was easy because I was just as fired up as I was against the Cowboys. You know, some people say, well, you know, you play a kind of emotional game, you come back, can you do it back-to-back? I could do it back-to-back because I was a young guy. Right. And I think most guys that I've seen was just that fired up and was willing to win that Super Bowl for Joe Gibbs' first one that we had an opportunity to go there, and we did it for the coach. And not only for the for ourselves, too. But I think a lot of guys cared so much about Joe Gibbs and they wanted to get it for him. That's what I remember the most. Who was the greatest pass rusher of the 1980s? Oh, there's no question. You're talking to him. <laughs> there no is, question. There is no doubt. There is no doubt Dexter yeah. Manley was the greatest pass rusher of that decade. Um, it's so good to hear your voice. I'm so glad you're doing well. <laughs> 
I love hearing you reminisce. I know how important you know beating the Cowboys, uh, you know, w- was for you that day. But really, I mean, you've always, I mean, anytime, even in recent years, the team is playing the Cowboys. That's the game you want Washington to win. You still hate the Cowboys, don't you? Well, well, uh, uh, my wife tells me don't use that term hate, but <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I dislike the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. I dislike them from the day I went to Oklahoma State because I don't get in that. That's a long story between you got the Cowboys, you got those owners. They all kind of have the same mentality, like uh, uh, they're above the other players. Right. Yeah, yeah, they're just so similar. And I didn't, I didn't like when I went to college. I'm not gonna use the word hate. I used to use the word hate a lot, but not anymore. <laughs> It's great to catch up. I'm so glad you're doing well. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, will you send a check in the mail? (laughs) Yes. Look for it in a few weeks. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. You too, Dex. Take care. That was phenomenal. Love Dexter. So glad he's doing well. That's it for the day. Back on Monday to recap all of the divisional playoff games. And the financial considerations are substantial. If you go all the way, each man will get an extra $70,000. Ogaboom fakes. Throws the screen, has it batted away and picked off in the air by Daryl Grant. Touchdown, Redskins.